0: The following pre-recorded program is paid for by SSI Guardian. Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Pegg. With your host, psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, Living Well with Dr. Pegg explores a variety of mental health, wellness, and safety topics. Brought to you by SSI Guardian. Living Well with Dr. Pegg shares effective and practical psychological strategies based on biblical principles for living well. To learn more about the show or Dr. Pegg's mental health consulting and publishing services, visit drpegradio.com. And now, here's your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark.
1: Of Living Well with Dr. Pegg, brought to you every week by our sponsor, SSI Guardian. We're coming to you from Denver, Colorado on 94.7 KRKS and streaming around the world on 947KRKS.com. And you can also download the KRKS app and listen on your smartphone. And that's what I love to do when I'm walking or working out. I listen to all my favorite shows either live or on the podcast. And if you missed last week's episode or any episode of Living Well with Dr. Peg, be sure to go to drpegradio.com, that's D-R-P-E-G, radio.com, for the program archives. Well, as you may know, this is National Suicide Prevention Week, but did you know that suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States, with one suicide occurring on average every 12.3 minutes? That means that over the course of this one-hour program, about five more people will kill themselves. Over one million Americans attempt suicide each year, and an estimated 4.8 million Americans are survivors of the suicide of a friend, family member, or loved one. Experts believe that most suicidal individuals do not want to die. They just want to end the pain they are experiencing. Some of those suicidal individuals may make their way to the most iconic site in San Francisco with the intent to jump from the Golden Gate Bridge. But thank God for my guest today, retired California Highway Patrol Officer Sergeant Kevin Briggs, who was assigned to the Golden Gate Bridge and is credited with saving over 200 people. As a result, he earned the nickname Guardian of the Golden Gate, Retired Sergeant Kevin Briggs, thank you for being with us today and welcome to the program.
2: Hi, Doctor. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Oh, it's such an honor. Uh, Your reputation precedes you. I have a, a daughter who is a recent college graduate and she was a psychology major and when i told her i was interviewing you she said oh my goodness i've heard of him so you are infamous famous in um abnormal psychology classes and i'm sure you're just blessed and and honored to know that you've been involved with saving so many lives
2: it really has it's been a blessing to do this this type of work i um i feel you know so important to, to be able to do this this stuff and to affect people um uh, we all can affect a person just by giving them some time
1: mm-hmm. and we'll we'll explore that message um throughout the program because i i agree with you and one of the reasons i have my program is to provide mental health awareness and safety information uh to everyone who may or may not be able to afford to see a professional or just may not know help is out there if they just happen to be turning the radio dial Uh, they may stumble across literally some life-saving information. And it really only just takes one person, as you said, to make a difference.
2: Well, you're you're absolutely right. It really is. And we say I was given this name, Guardian of the Golden Gate, but there's so many Guardians of the Golden Gate around the world
1: Mm -hmm.
2: that are helping folks. So I really give kudos to all of them.
1: Yes. Well, I interviewed uh, Long Beach Deputy Chief Michael Beckman, who's, 22-year-old son attempted suicide by jumping off a bridge in Southern California, uh, not once but twice, and he survived the first attempt, but he sustained multiple broken bones and severe organ damage, and then the second time he jumped, he lived just long enough to donate his organs and uh, tragically died a few days later, and people may think jumping off a bridge is an instant painless death, but that really isn't the case, is it?
2: No, it's not, and I can tell you about the Golden Gate Bridge mm-hmm. it's it's roughly two hundred and twenty feet from the roadway down to the water, and you know people think like you said, it's a clean and easy way to go, but it's not you know you hit that water at over seventy five miles an hour, and if they go in at the at the right point in the way that they jump, you know they may survive that jump, mm-hmm. but they're gonna break bones, they're gonna break arms and legs and then ribs with puncture organs so you know a number of times they'll come up and they're still living we mm. can see them kind of flailing in the water but then they drown and it's just it's a horrible way to go it really
3: is
1: yes i'm i'm a certified instructor for youth mental health first aid and as part of that training we show a, a videotaped interview of a of a man who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge uh, to commit suicide, and he did miraculously survive. And he talks about just how horrendous it was, but he survived and has made it his life's mission to talk to people about mental illness and depression and suicide and, and just to be really active in suicide prevention. So it we're not here to uh, sensationalize or or even glamorize um, uh, this tragic uh, situation where someone is suicidal and wants to kill themselves, but really to educate people uh, just about how, just how horrendous it really is. And hopefully through that information and education, preventing even just one suicide.
2: You're absolutely right. And, you know, our goal now for all of us, I believe is is to get to folks long before they get to that bridge, Mm -hmm. to the top of that building or a gun to their head. This is you know needs to start at the ground level. It really does before it gets up to that. Because once they're at that stage, it's, it's very difficult to get them back.
1: That's right. Yes. Well, share with the, the listeners some statistics about um, the number of attempts, specifically from the Golden Gate Bridge, and um, the number of um, completed suicides.
2: You know, every year we lose between twenty-five and to sixty or so folks off of that bridge every year. Now, if you go online and look at these statistics, it'll be a little bit different. It'll be a little lower in the 30s and 40s and such. But they don't uh, – the Marine County coroner, who, who handles these cases, does not take a number, so to speak, from a person unless they have a body. Mm-hmm. So we lose people frequently on that bridge because of, of the waters and what damages caused to the body from impact. So those folks that we lose are not in that tally number. Mm-hmm that's a lot of people you know up to 60 people or so a year and that's not even including the folks that we take off for mental health evaluations Mm -hmm. so it's a lot of people
1: right right and so i've i've read where again like you're saying we may not actually find the person um, uh, their their body in the water so they are not included in that official count but I've read accounts where you might find abandoned rental cars in the parking lot and assume that someone may have jumped off the bridge.
2: Exactly, we'll find that. Um, sometimes we'll find a bicycle leaning mm. against the pedestrian rail, mm. things like this, or a note with a backpack left on it. Just some folks don't want to be found. Wow. They they go out when it's uh, it gets really foggy on that bridge at times, especially during the summer months. So it would be fairly easy to go out there on, on a weekday anyway, when not so many people are around, and, and jump, and, and it wouldn't even be known. Nobody would see it.
1: Mm. And so, again, just speaks to the desperation, the isolation, the despair that someone may experience to cause them uh, to even make that choice. Um, tell us about some of your early experiences patrolling the Golden Gate Bridge and who you encountered, um, because I know there were some that you were, many you were able to help and some that you were not.
2: Right. There were many. Most of the time when we are able to contact someone, we are able to to assist them in getting back over. And I don't look at it as a save, so to speak, but more of helping someone in their darkest day, Um, maybe a conduit in their darkest day. Because I like them to come back over on their own, Mm. not for us to have to grab them. When they come back over on their own, it takes a lot of courage. It really does. So to have the courage to do that and to face life again, you know, I think it really – sets a tone for their new beginning. But when I first started working on that bridge, I had no idea what I was stepping into there. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't have training in mental illness or negotiations, and it was tough. It was really tough because I felt, as I did until the day I retired and still now, that it's my responsibility. I'm there to take care of those folks. And if someone jumps that I was talking to, I I take blame for that. Now, deep down, we know that it's very, very difficult to do that when it's at that level, when, they're, when they come to do that. But still, uh, you know, it's, it hits you. It really does hit you hard. I take it personal. We mm. all do that work there.
1: Right. And, and any first responder, anybody in any of the helping professions that's literally dealing with life and death and severe injury every day uh, that they go to work, I can only imagine how tough it is. Uh, to not take that personally and to just keep moving forward when when someone does make the choice to kill themselves.
2: Right. And that's how we're seeing, you know, compassion, fatigue, and burnout with our first responders, a lot of that. So that's coming into play now, too. And, and we're getting help so we can um, de-stress, you know, and, and have instead of being – we work a lot. We work a lot of hours, but you need to have that balance, too. With your home life.
3: Right, right.
2: And that support system. Yes. Yeah, so this. That... It wasn't some years until I got training. I received some training in crisis intervention and negotiation, so.
1: Right, and tough. we'll talk more about what that looked like for you in our next segment. Uh, but th- this episode is really just as much for those first responders as it is for uh, the, the people who are feeling. Suicidal or even family members who've lost loved ones uh, to, to send the message today for those first responders who may be experiencing, as you called it, compassion fa- fatigue or vicarious trauma, secondhand trauma it goes by lots of different names, burnout. Uh, that that there is help, there is hope for those people as well, and we thank God for you and all of those others who are on the front lines helping helping desperate people. And so we'll learn more about the type of training that you've experienced and. Um, how this has impacted you over the course of your uh, career. And so uh, there's so much more for us to talk about, and um, I'm grateful to have you on the show today. Uh, so listeners, uh, you're listening to Living Well with Dr. Pegg, and I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. My guest today is Sergeant Kevin Briggs, retired California Highway Patrol officer assigned to the Golden Gate Bridge. And he's sharing his experiences as the guardian, guardian of the Golden Gate, as he's been aptly named. And listeners, if you're feeling suicidal yourself, where you know someone, you're concerned about someone who's feeling suicidal, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. And that's 8255, 1-800-273-TALK. And in Colorado, we have the Colorado Crisis Services line for any mental health uh, emergency, including suicide, and that is one eight eight excuse me eight four 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 nine three talk. That's eight four 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 nine three talk, which is eight two five five. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor SSI Guardian, and when we return, you'll hear more from. Sergeant Kevin Briggs, retired from the California Highway Patrol and in, um, in, in guardian of the Golden Gate Bridge. Thank you for being with us. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
4: One needs to look no further than today's headlines to understand the threats facing American schools. They remain soft targets for violent threats, and yet our schools go largely underprepared. Our children deserve the highest level of education in the safest learning environment possible. The SSI Guardian QAL, or Quick Action Lockdown, is the fastest and safest way to lock down a classroom. This revolutionary device provides schools with maximum locking protection while meeting all safety, fire, and building codes. Designed by the leading lock experts in the world, the QAL is the only only lock that meets Department of Homeland Security primer recommendations. SSI Guardian QAL now makes classroom lockdowns fast and safe with the red button. As a parent, you have every right to demand that your child is afforded the best classroom protection. Take action today by calling SSI Guardian at 877-878-5800 or go to guardianprotect.com. That's guardianprotect.com. To learn
0: more about living well with Dr. Pegg, visit drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark.
1: Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with Sergeant Kevin Briggs, also known as the guardian of the Golden Gate. Sergeant Briggs, thank you so much for being with us today, and welcome back to the program.
3: Thank
2: you very much.
1: Well, when you first started patrolling the bridge, um, what kind of training did you already have or receive in crisis intervention or suicide prevention?
2: When I first started training, I really didn't have any. I went through the the police course, you know, six months, but it wasn't relative to this. This was a whole new deal for me. Um, And it was hard. It really was.
1: And as you talked about with that compassion fatigue Even when you are successful in helping someone, it still takes a toll. And to just have no training, I can only imagine how tough that was.
2: It was tough. And I finally, you know, I started talking to senior officers and senior folks who worked down on the bridge to get some insight onto this. And I did uh, research on my own to find out about this. And then it was not until some years later, really, when I went through uh, its called CIT, Crisis Intervention Training. And then even years past that, where I was one of the very few, very blessed and lucky to go to the FBI Crisis Negotiation School, mm. which is absolutely wonderful.
1: And so your experience as a hostage negotiator, probably there's a lot of overlap in terms of the skill set for negotiating with someone to come back from over the edge.
3: There
2: really is. The active listening skills that we're taught are applied to whether it's a you know a bank robber, someone barricaded in the house even a terrorist there's a lot of things that are the same you just use them in a little slightly different way mm-hmm. but those active listening skills are just crucial
1: yes yes and so um the crisis intervention training for law enforcement what does that look like um because we we know right now uh in the news uh law enforcement is coming under a lot of attack and um You know, we we appreciate law enforcement when we need you, and we appreciate all of your training. And so we really want to make sure that we're not um, overgeneralizing and negatively stereotyping law enforcement. You all are very well trained, and most law enforcement officers would be willing to lay down their lives to help others. So talk, talk to the listeners a little bit about the crisis intervention training, so critically important.
2: It really is, and it would be wonderful if they even put it into the academy to get that. Mm. But what it entails is is really getting to know about mental illness because so many of us don't know any, anything about it, even to the point to where you don't even believe mental illness is an illness. But, you know, it's there. It's real. It, it's just like cancer and diabetes. It takes ongoing care and management. But we are taught about it, about the different mental illnesses that are out there, you know, the bipolar, the depression, all the different ones. And actually they'll have people come in who are suffering from mental illness and talk about what's going on with them. And some of the instances where they have had law enforcement contact, the good and the bad. So you really get to see what's going on and get a feel for this of how these people are and what they deal with every day. And, you know, your empathy just goes out the door with this because you really feel for these folks. And you get how to approach this. You typically don't approach this like you would – Another type of call, because this requires so much more patience, and we have this this formula, you know, high emotions equal low rational thought. Mm. (laughs) So you can't just rush in and do it. Cops, we're We're taught to take control of the situation. Take control, and that's the way it is. End of story. You know, always officer safety. But with this, with mental illness, a lot of times you can't take really control of it. It's that person. So slow and steady and stretch that time out. Use your active listening skills. And that's the way to really work these.
1: Yes. And so just that awareness is so critically important. Um, we, I always take the time to remind people that mentally ill people are not more likely to be violent and, in fact, are more likely to be the victim of a crime. And so when law enforcement is trained uh, to recognize the signs of mental illness and to know that their normal uh, law enforcement interventions and strategies probably won't be effective and could actually even be disastrous, we've seen that in the media where not being aware someone was mentally ill really led to a a bad outcome. So heightened awareness and training, not only for law enforcement, but for everyone, is beneficial. Um, You know that more people are trained in CPR than are trained in a mental health crisis intervention. But, in fact, you're probably more likely to encounter someone having a mental health crisis than you would encounter someone having a heart attack. And so uh, the, the training that law enforcement receives, certainly the layperson may not be able to receive the same level of training, but certainly training for everyone in mental health awareness, I think, is, is vital.
2: Uh, I'm right there with you, really. In 2014, we had over 42,000 suicides just in the United States. Mm. In that same year, we had a little over uh, 32,000 traffic accident-related deaths mm-hmm. and around 14,000 homicides. So you know, we're having a lot more suicides than traffic accident-related deaths. But mm-hmm. where is the money, and what do you hear about more often? Mm-hmm. Traffic safety and, and things like that. So, we really need to, to turn the corner on this and see uh, mental illness as what it is. It's an illness, but most of it, you know, we can work with it. We can do something with it. You can live and thrive with a mental illness.
1: Absolutely. And there's there's so many uh, new interventions that have been shown and proven to be effective. And so there is help. There is hope for someone with a mental illness up to and including someone who's so depressed who feels so hopeless that they would consider killing themselves and and you've had a lot of experience with talking people down and listening is what I'm hearing we'll talk more about that in our next segment really what what are you doing (laughs) to have had so much success and I think it's so important that we really understand that these statistics that we're sharing are real people and so um, Kevin would you tell the listeners about some of the real people that you've interacted with on the bridge. And uh, we don't want to glamorize um, or sensationalize what's going on, but we do want to bring awareness to the pain and devastation of depression and suicide.
2: Absolutely. Um, One of the more, and I'll preface this with an an unfortunate one, was an African-American man um, around 30 years old. And we got the call that he was standing over the pedestrian rail. There's like an I-beam on the other side. He was standing on that. And I got to the scene and began talking with him. He was not under the influence of alcohol or drugs or anything, nicely dressed, just a very nice man. He wouldn't tell me his name, and he wouldn't tell me what had led up to this, why he was there. But we just talked about a lot of different subjects, but he kept looking down at the water. And he actually shook my hand three times Mm -hmm. during this whole thing. And when I tell negotiators this, I go, what? We don't touch anybody." Well, I had developed rapport with this young man, and it, it was fine. I was totally fine with it. It was our bond. And um, after some time, he turned around to me. He shook my hand for a third time and said, Kevin, I need to go. My grandmother's down there. So his grandmother had passed some time before, and he jumped hmm. just after shaking my hand. And it, it, I remember tearing up. You know, it's a four or five second drop Before he even hit the water I was tearing up It's such a loss He seems like such a nice guy um, it, It's horrible It affects, you know, it starts with me And it starts with the people there Even witnesses on the bridge Who were there just to walk across the bridge And then after that It spreads out to family and friends And we know one suicide can lead to another
3: mm-hmm.
1: It's
2: just a horrific incident It really is It affects so many people
1: Right And I think your your example of this Young Man really illustrates that um, this can happen to anyone, that um, male, female, old, young, doesn't matter race, background, we're all vulnerable um, uh, to to depression, to mental illness. Certainly there are variables that increase our risk, um, but we don't want to have a stereotype about who's going to jump, who's going to commit suicide, do we?
2: No, I don't think you can, to be honest with you. You know, there's been... 11-year-olds that have lost their life to suicide, very, very young people. And then there's some that have been up into their 90s that their loved one has passed and they can no longer cope with it, and then when they go. There's just so many different reasons and circumstances. But I have to tell folks, there is hope, like you said. There is help. A lot of times these people feel that they're in a corner by themselves and nobody else feels what they're going through. But there are people for them. We just need to take some time and listen to them. And try to get them to professionals to get some help.
1: That's right. So you're really buying some time and um, getting them to um, be willing to make a different choice at least for now, until you can connect them with some professional help. What are what are some of the common threads that you did encounter um, regarding the motives or issues that people are dealing with when they um, are standing there on that on that ledge, contemplating suicide? You
2: know. Uh, And everyone is unique. We know that. Mm -hmm. But there were some commonalities. There really were. Um, Most people feel like they're a burden to their families. But when I ask them, well, have you talked about this to their families? Most, the vast majority say no, that they haven't talked about being a burden to their families. But that's how they felt. Um, If they were prescribed a medication for mental illness, they stopped taking it generally a month or more prior. That's a big one, folks. Mm. If you're on... If you start to take a medication for mental illness and you're feeling better, don't stop it. Please don't stop it without contacting your, your doctor or healthcare professional. We see that a lot. Ninety-nine percent of the times, if someone was, in fact, prescribed a medication for mental illness, they've stopped it, things like that. Um, and really, they're just feeling hopeless. They've exhausted everything that they can think of to try and cope with their situation.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and in fact, that's where professional help comes in because they've exhausted their options, but there are other options and there are interventions and, as you stated, medications. And the, the irony is it's the medication that's often making people feel better, so they stop taking the, the very medication that's helping them. And so, again, just being uh, better educated by a mental health professional on what the treatment and course of treatment and recovery entails That alone might make a difference. Well, my guest today is retired California Highway Patrol Officer Sergeant Kevin Briggs. And you can learn more about Sergeant Briggs and his book, Guardian of the Golden Gate, on his website, PivotalPoints.com. That's Pivotal-Points.com. Living Well with Dr. Pegg is brought to you by SSI Guardian, who has set the new standard in advanced safety education. Stay with us. When we return, we'll hear more from Sergeant Briggs on just how important important listening is, listening to understand, and how it really makes a difference when someone is feeling so desperate. Stay with us. We'll be right back to learn more about suicide intervention and prevention, listening, active listening skills, and how to make a crisis plan. You're going to encounter people... In your day-to-day walk, who are struggling with mental illness, depression, and suicide, for
5: this. With SRN News, I'm Ron derockstro The man who shot President Ronald Reagan has arrived at his mother's home in Williamsburg, Virginia, after being released from a Washington, D.C., mental hospital. 61-year-old John Hinckley Jr. must live with his mom for at least a year and will have limits on his travel. Hillary Clinton says she regrets describing half of Donald Trump supporters as, quote, basket of deplorables, but... After being taken to task by GOP vice presidential candidate Mike Pence, who said they're not a basket of anything but Americans who deserve your respect, the Democrat backpedaled a bit trying to clarify her remarks, saying she was too generalistic last night at a fundraiser and said that, quote, many of Trump's supporters are hardworking Americans who just don't feel like the economy or our political system are working for them. There are word of deaths and destruction in Tanzania following a 5.7 magnitude earthquake near Lake Victoria. This is SRN News.
4: Hello, this is Pastor Jeff Swarzentrop Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel here in Denver, Colorado. I want to invite you to the National Renewal Conference here at our church, September 28th through the 30th. We are excited to host some of the nation's leading Bible teachers, including Pastor Jim Cimbala of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, renowned author Paul David Tripp, and many others. Whether you're in Christian ministry looking for some fresh inspiration or you're a believer simply wanting to grow deeper in the scriptures and your walk with Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you not to miss this opportunity. To find out more information today, please visit our website, HarvestDenver.org. Again, that's HarvestDenver.org. I hope that you will plan to join us and know that this conference will be great for your spiritual growth in Jesus Christ.
0: Hundreds of companies, thousands of home solutions, all in one location. That's what you'll find at the Colorado Fall Home Show September 9th, 10th, and 11th at the Colorado Convention Center. Hi, it's Dave Logan reminding you that if you have home improvements to get done before winter settles in, go to Denver's only Fall Home Show, where you'll find the experts
4: to renovate, decorate, and update your home. Vector Bank presents the Colorado Fall Home Show September 9th, 10th, and 11th Colorado Convention Center. Discount tickets at AXS.com. Presented in association with the Denver Post, 9 News, and TeamDaveLogan.com. The Thrive Conference is coming. Meet faith-based business leaders, business owners, and professionals at the Thrive conference on september 16th at infinity park in glendale learn how to thrive in a business world with broken values learn how to integrate faith into your work life and gain resources from marketplace ministries speakers include holly and rick bettenbaugh and rick grigsby go to ccballiance.org to register for the thrive conference on september 16th that's ccballiance.org brought to you by the colorado christian business alliance and 94 7 krks To learn more about living well with Dr. Pegg, visit
0: drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark.
1: Welcome back, everyone. My guest today is Officer Kevin Briggs, guardian of the Golden Gate, and he has encouraged over 200 suicidal people to come back from the edge. Um, Kevin, we just thank God for you and for your work. And for your compassion,
2: Well, thank you very much, really. Uh, it's very humbling, and I'm very blessed to do this work. So I learn things still each and every day.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, in your frustration with the lack of training that you received um, as a as a police officer and and um, member of the California Highway Patrol, Uh, You developed some of your own methods. Uh, Certainly you talked about um, pursuing additional training with the FBI and um, uh, other law enforcement agencies, but you also, based on your experience and the need, developed some of your own methods. Tell Tell us more about those.
2: I did. One of them is called my release model, and it's an acronym for Recognize, Engage, Listen, Empathy, Accept, Support, and encourage, and it's how to recognize when someone may be in crisis and then how to go and communicate with them. What do we say? What do we not say? What can we do? What can we not do? Where do we go to have this conversation? What are you expecting? And maybe they're not in crisis where they're suicidal, but let's find out. Mm -hmm. And what happens if you ask them, are you planning or have you been thinking about killing yourself? what happens if they say yes? That's huge. Do you freak out and say, how could you do this to me and your family? What do we do? Mm -hmm. So I've developed a plan to help folks to communicate with other people who may be in crisis, not even to be suicidal, just to to find out that's so important.
1: Yes. And can you give us an example of how that would be applied, either a actual situation or kind of a composite situation of real people that you've interacted with using this model
3: sure so
2: let's say you have a family member that doesn't drink is always to work on time um, a male clean shaven loving member of a family but all of a sudden is coming home late from work all the time um, going to work later being absent you see that person start to drinking quite a bit, and they seem like they're depressed. They're withdrawn. They're staying home more and more. Don't want to talk to people. But well, we want to find out what's going on. So we would, I would, or whoever is going to have a conversation with that individual, would go up and ask them, Hey, I've seen a number of different things with you, and describe that, and go, Can we sit down and chat for a while? And not to have this this chat in a coffee shop, in a restaurant or somewhere where there's other people, because really what you're going to be asking them to do is break down and tell you what is going on with them. So you want them to be comfortable in a comfortable place and then to just ask them, this is what I've seen. What's, what's going on? I'm concerned. I care for you are really, really big. Hmm. People need to know that there's someone in their corner. And when they find that out, you know, a lot of times they can break down, so to speak, and tell you what's going on. And if it gets to the point to where, You think they may be suicidal if they talk about, well, everything's fine because I'm not going to be here anyway. Or if they they mention it, don't take it for granted. Well, they won't do it. They won't do it. They don't have the courage. But ask them, have you been having thoughts of killing yourself? And if they say yes, okay, let's take a deep breath and think about this for a second. Have some things with you like the 1-800-CRISIS line, the 1-800-273-TALK, maybe some local places where they can get some help. And really sit down and find out what's going on. Wow, okay. How long have you been thinking about this? Have you tried this before? And what stopped you? You know, Get some answers. Find out what's going on. And then just tell them, hey, I'm here for you. You know this. I want you to know this. I'll tell you time and time again. You have my phone number. You know where I'm at. Call me anytime. And then follow up with them. Make sure that they are getting some support, professional or otherwise. And just. Send them a text or something now to go, hey, I'm thinking about you. How you doing? These types of things. So it's so important just to be able to sit down and communicate and not to judge the person, to just sit down and really listen. And we like to go by the what I call the 80-20 method to where if they're willing to talk to you, they're talking 80% of the time, and I'm talking about 20% of the mm-hmm. time. That's the best we don't compare situations. I've had a lot of things in my life with cancer and divorce and heart surgeries and things. But I don't talk about that to folks because it's not about me. It's about them so that's that's where we start with
1: it, yeah, excellent. And I think even if listeners can't remember the whole acronym, I wrote it down, so I'm reading it back. but it might be a little to remember the first time you have to use it uh, recognize, engage, listen empathy acceptance uh, support and encouragement even if you don't memorize the whole thing what i'm really hearing you say kevin is showing that compassion saying i'm concerned i care listening more than you talk (laughs) being non-judgmental and trying to connect them to appropriate um, support and resources would that kind of capture kind of the spirit of what you're trying to do
2: Absolutely, and you know it's it's all in my book, also in in greater detail. If anyone is, is interested, um, so it's there, and it's not the only one, but it's you know something I developed for all of us. Whether you're a, a high end professional down to you know, anyone that just wants to know how do I do this better, or even thinks about it. Wow, okay, how can I be a better communicator with my kids? What can I do with this? It mm-hmm. may help you with
1: that. Absolutely. And for myself, as a clinical psychologist and mental health professional, I've taken you know countless trainings on suicide prevention and intervention and crisis management, et cetera. Um, and so there's different things out there for people with number one different level of interest. <laughs> um, you may just want to have a, a few basic tools in your tool belt because you know statistically speaking, you will encounter someone. In a mental health crisis, and there might be those who are mental health professionals or law enforcement or first responders or teachers, people who know I I have a different level of responsibility and they may want to get more in depth training. Um, I took a two day class called ASSIST that's applied suicide intervention uh, training that I found to be extremely valuable, um, probably from all the way from a layperson to an experienced um, mental health uh, provider. But uh, in addition to reading your book, uh, Kevin, uh, what other kinds of trainings have you come across that you can recommend just for the average person, the average citizen?
2: And, Donkey you you hit it right on the nose. There's a number of things that folks can look at. You mentioned mental health first aid a while ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's one. I went through mental health first aid and also the mental health first aid instructor course. Yes. Plus you mentioned a fifth. I took that one also. And then there's uh, another one is QPR,
3: mm-hmm. question,
2: per se, refer. You know, these three uh, are very, very good, just to give folks an idea of what they're good. Because more than likely you are gonna encounter someone with a mental illness. I mean that you know, there's just so many people that are suffering. So why not have a clue of how to talk to that individual, how you can be there for them.
1: That's right and and this is something that it, all the training that you may take uh, for work or just your own personal growth and development, this is one of few that i I think literally can save people's lives and at the at the very least if someone's not suicidal, it's just really developing your listening skills. and you talked about that earlier, um, um, listening to understand how how that helped you to develop rapport with the gentleman that you gave the example of, um, I, I think that listening is one of the most important skills we should all learn to develop, and um, there's a, a book called The Lost Art of Listening, uh, written by Michael Nichols, and he describes listening as the best gift that you can offer to others. Uh, w- what are your thoughts about that, Kevin?
2: Exactly right. You know, my mantra, listen to understand, it really is because we speak at around 150 words a minute. We listen at about 450 words per minute. So there's that big differential there where we lose things. And to give someone your full attention, to provide those active listening skills, for instance, when they're talking to you, the the just minimal encouragers is one of them. To be right there with them and go, wow, is that right? Is that so? So they know – that you're looking and hearing, listening to what's going on. You're actively participating in the conversation. You're not breaking it up. You're not stopping and interrupting, but you're showing that you care and you are right there for them. It's so important. It Mm -hmm. really is.
1: And that may be something that someone who's who's considering suicide as a solution, part of the issue is, uh, as you stated earlier, their perception that they're a burden, their perception that they really don't have anyone they can turn to, um, to listen and to really hear and appreciate what they're going through. And so to the extent that we can uh, be a good listener just in that brief encounter uh, could make all the difference for them.
2: It really can because we don't know what these folks a lot of times have been through. And what could be a, a really big deal to me may not be a big deal to somebody else. So we can't judge these folks Uh, It's, you know, Mm -hmm. most of them that come up to that bridge that jump are suffering from depression. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's there's just, there's a lot of help out there. And if we can just sit down with people, we can really start a good conversation and start them on the right path for better mental health.
1: That's right. So listening to understand. Another thing I want to emphasize that you stated in your release model was asking the question directly, are you thinking about killing yourselves? Uh, when I do uh, suicide prevention training and mental health awareness training, I actually have the participants um, pair up and look, uh, turn and face one another, and each person takes a turn actually saying those words. Are you thinking about killing yourself? Because the very first time you say those words, you don't want that to be a real-life crisis, because for the average person, that's so uncomfortable to ask, and, and we have the the false belief that asking someone is actually going to put that idea in their head, but that definitely is a myth. We all need to get comfortable with saying the words, are you thinking of killing yourself? Because that can be a huge relief to that person who's on on the edge of desperation to know, oh, my goodness, someone actually really sees me. They heard me. They appreciate what I'm going through enough to even ask me that question.
3: You're absolutely
2: right. And a lot of times they will come out and say yes.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: and
2: then it'll go into deeper things why they're feeling like that so you know just to be there for them but that is you know it's could be difficult to think of a, of a more difficult conversation that is a tough one that's a it tough really one
1: is. but so important it takes to get
2: a lot of courage to do it Yep. but i want you to tell, to tell you though you know, it takes a lot of courage to do it but what if you don't
1: yeah the, the, the threat
2: like can last a lifetime
1: consequences but, are dire Thank you so much. You're listening to my guest, retired California Highway Patrol Sergeant Kevin Briggs, known as the guardian of the Golden Gate. If you're feeling suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-TALK. And in Colorado, it's 844-493-TALK. My guest again is Sergeant Kevin Briggs. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor, SSI Guardian. Stay with us. Don't go away.
4: Schools can no longer afford not to invest in a professional evidence-based advanced safety education training program. It's the single most important decision and investment a school administrator will ever make in their professional career. When all else fails, training and preparation are the only things that will increase your chances of survival in a violent incident such as an active shooter or active terrorism. SSI Guardian has set the new standard in advanced safety education by providing evidence-based advanced training programs tailored to your needs. While there are many basic training programs largely based on opinion and emotion, SSI Guardian is the only advanced training program of its type with an accredited continuing education unit, or CEU, issued by an accredited university. SSI Guardian has set the new standard in advanced safety education by providing evidence-based advanced training and solutions to learning institutions, faith-based and professional organizations. To learn more, call SSI Guardian today at 877-878-5800 or visit guardianprotect.com. To learn more about
0: living well with Dr. Pegg, visit drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark.
1: Welcome back, everyone. My guest is retired California Highway Patrol Sergeant Kevin Briggs, known as the guardian of the Golden Gate. And you can learn more about Kevin Briggs at Pivotal-Points.com. Thank you again so much, Kevin, for being my guest today.
2: Thank you.
3: Thank you
1: for having me. You're welcome. And, and Kevin, you shared earlier in terms of that 80-20 rule, and I, I really appreciate that because that's a good reminder. We, we think that by talking about ourselves, we're developing rapport with a desperate suicidal person. Uh, but if we talk too much about ourselves and kind of um, don't let them take the lead in opening up and sharing their stories, we might even kind of shut them down. Um, but in, in giving us that guidance, that 80, 20 rule, you mentioned that you've been through your own personal struggles. And I wonder if you'd be willing to share some of that, just encourage our listeners that, uh, here's someone who's dedicated his career to helping save lives and, and have developing, um, a compassion through education and awareness and personal experience to help people. But you're not immune to challenges yourself, are you?
2: Not at all. I thought I was, and I'll, I'll give you the story, um, very quickly. I started out in the United States Army in the Airborne Infantry, so this macho job. And when I got out, I, watched, I developed cancer in the military, testicular cancer. So I had to go through several operations in chemotherapy. Eventually got over it and started working in corrections. So I was a correctional officer at San Quentin for some time. And then I got into the highway patrol. And throughout my career, I rode a motor and I retired as the motor sergeant. So I had these macho jobs mm. where you don't show a weakness. You really don't. You're there to help others, but nothing happens to us. Well, I've had my mother die. We talk about internal and external things that happen. My mother died when she was just 49 years old from lung cancer. died at home in front of us. I closed her eyes. Um, I had a traumatic brain injury, a a very nasty concussion on the motorcycle when I was riding. I was hit by another person who crossed the yellow. And I also had some heart disease, and I was just 48 years old when I had three stents put on my heart. And so all of these things took a heavy, heavy toll on me in the form of depression. And I could go to work and be fine. I functioned at 100%. But when I wasn't at work, when I was at home, I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to go to the grocery store, wash clothes, watch the dog, go take the dog for a walk, see my kids. I didn't feel like doing anything but sitting down and watching TV. And it took me a long time to realize this because at work I was 100% and at home it was, it was a 0% to me. Finally, I went to my doctor and told him, well, I think life is passing me up. And he had me take a very little short quiz. Uh, it's called the Personal Health Questionnaire Mind. And I flunked it pretty good. Hmm. Uh, he came back in the room shortly thereafter and said, Kevin, you have depression. Oh, he goes, How do you feel about that? That's his bedside manner. Like, well, I didn't think I'd feel about this. I had everything else, and now I have depression. But I will tell you this, and this is the honest to God's truth out of everything I've been through, depression, was the worst. Wow. It took a heavy, heavy toll on me for a very long time before I sought help for it. There is help for it. There is help. There's a lot of things that, that we can do to help with mental illness. So please, if you think, even think you're suffering, see someone, talk to someone.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, that, that's so uh, insightful to hear that um, all of the things you've been through physical um, illness and, and personal loss. Uh, to know that depression was the hardest thing to go through, really, um, I hope, gives our listeners some insight. Uh, So many people say, just get over it. Snap out of it. you know, Just pull yourself up and don't be such a baby. And they really don't understand how debilitating depression can be, especially if someone becomes suicidal.
2: Right. That's like saying to someone with cancer, "Ah, just get up and walk it off. You'll be Mm -hmm. fine. It just doesn't happen. It really doesn't.
1: That's right. Well, again, one of the reasons um, I have the show and have you on today um, for National Suicide Prevention Week is uh, to help to reduce the stigma around mental illness. So some of the things that we just stated really are part of that stigma that people don't understand. They see it as a personal weakness. It's something that you can just snap out of it. Um, Something's wrong with you um, in terms of our our spiritual faith Uh, sometimes people think you must have sinned you must have done something wrong just repent and ask for forgiveness and and then you'll be fine and um, certainly there's a place for um, prayer and faith and receiving our healing um, through the lord Um, and yet this is still a real day-to-day natural problem and so what can you share with listeners to help uh, reduce that stigma of mental illness and and getting help
2: and you're absolutely right with this. There's so much of it. It is getting better. The stigma is getting re- reduced slowly but surely. But before you open your mouth and say something to someone with a mental illness that could really be discouraging towards them, you know, from to them to getting some help, really think about it. Do a little bit of research. Look up depression. Look mm-hmm. up mental illness. You know, there's a lot of there's chemical imbalance. There's a lot of things that happen. Maybe that person was abused when they were a child. There's a lot of different things that go into this. It is real. It's out there. You know, so many people are suffering. There's a lot of help, but we as a society need to change somewhat to accept these folks. And once we can start to accept it and talk about it, we can reduce this stigma and really start to help some folks and see a big turnaround from loss of work. You know, where they just can't go in. They don't feel good. Um, it's it's a tragedy right now. Slowly but surely we're getting better, but we still have a lot of work
1: to do. A lot, a lot of work to go. And so again, we can educate people not only about uh, there's help, there's hope. Uh, Here are the symptoms. You need to be more aware of recognizing, so you can help someone or connect them to help. But what would be some strategies that you've learned through your own personal study and just your own personal experiences? Uh, to help people live a healthier life, uh, to, to live a, a well life and um, engage in some preventative habits and, and practices.
2: And that's the key, the preventative stuff, maintaining your health, getting out, getting out of the house because we can get locked into sitting in the house all day long, get out, get into that sunshine a little bit, walk around, take a walk. You'll be amazed. Once you get out, then it, it does tend to get a little better. Um, exercise. Exercise is shown time and time and time again to help reduce stress and get that blood flowing, which is great for your entire body. Talking to someone, a support group, is just phenomenal. And getting out there and exercising, you know, your mind, your mindfulness is huge. Um, there's Meditation is great. I do transcendental meditation, which is really, really neat. You can look into that. A lot of people like yoga. Or maybe they just want to go to the gym and lift weights and ride the bike, something to get out of the house. You know, you can look at aromatherapy. There's just a whole gamut of things to do. Maybe you like cooking. You want to be inside and and do some cooking, and you really enjoy that. Find some activities. There's social media out there also. There's a whole number of things. But please do something. You know, start to learn a new language. Set a goal for yourself, short-term and long-term goals and really try to stick to those but make them so they're manageable and know that that you can obtain these mm-hmm. and, and uh, it it just really helps
1: yes so these are good strategies for wellness and prevention And there might be a listener saying, you know, if I could do all of that, I wouldn't be depressed. And so we're really talking about uh, how do you prevent from slipping deeper into that hole? How do you um, create a a life of wellness? But if you find that I just can't get outside, I can't exercise, I don't want to talk to anyone, um, I don't have the energy or the inclination, that's a sign that you may be clinically depressed and you're going to need more than just some self-help wellness strategies and may need um, some professional intervention. And, and, and um, Kevin, you, you write about your personal triad for healthy living. I suspect that some of those uh, wellness uh, practices that you just um, um, noted for us will probably form uh, the foundation of this personal triad for healthy living. But tell us more about what you mean by that.
2: I do. It's, it starts with yourself on the very top of this triad, because I need to, whenever possible, if I can, which I've been able to do, pull up my own bootstraps, realize what's going on with me. You know, We all have bad mental health days. It's just the way it is. We get burned out on things. We want to be left alone or maybe just hanging out with your dog or your loved one, whatever it is. So we need those days to recoup. But when that starts turning into a couple of weeks or more, there's an issue there. We need to speak up and talk about this, what's going on, or if we recognize that in someone hey, we need to have a chat, and let's, let's kind of find out. You know, I'm here for you. Let's see what's going on to make sure. And on the bottom of that triad is support, your support groups. Who does support you? Your family, your friends. Is it social media? Is it a club that you joined into? Anything that is your support system is crucial, really, really is. And on the other side of that is your professional help. And that's not just psychologists or psychiatrists, but anybody in the profession that can help you. So I do TM transcendental meditation. My instructor for that is a professional. If you do yoga, your yoga instructor, your life coach, anybody in those professions that can help you out. So you have the self help, you know, on the top you, and then professional, and your support on the other side. And these three really help with my quality of life.
1: Excellent, excellent. And uh, for me, as a as a believer, as a Christian, and and my listeners who are also believers, we know of course. We have to put all that on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And and God does the supernatural, but we need to do the natural. And I think your personal triad for Healthy Living really is about what we can do um, uh, in the natural and knowing that we have God as our help. Well, thank you so much, um, Sergeant Kevin Briggs, Guardian of the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, for being my guest today. It's just been a pleasure and honor to have you on the show.
2: Thank you, Doctor. It's really been my pleasure and
1: honor. Wonderful. Listeners, if you or someone you know is feeling suicidal, uh, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available, 800-273-TALK, and in Colorado, 844-493-TALK. I'm offering a youth mental health first aid class for adults who work with youth. It's an eight-hour class on Saturday, October 15th, in Aurora, Colorado. Go to drpegradio.com to learn more and register. My guest today has been Sergeant Kevin Briggs. I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Our sponsor is SSI Guardian. Tune in every Saturday at 1 Mountain on KRKS 94.7. Thanks for being with us.
5: Bills or. Are-
0: Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Living Well with Dr. Peg. Living Well with Dr. Peg is brought to you by SSI Guardian, who has set the new standard in advanced safety education. If you'd like to learn more about the show, our sponsor, or mental health consulting and publishing services, visit www.drpegradio.com. Remember to join us every Saturday at 1 p.m. on 94.7 KRKS-FM for Living Well with Dr. Peg.